Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Career Services Internship Coordinator Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Assistant Director of Career Services. And today we are joined by Andrew Wagley, who is the Managing Editor for the Northwest Missouri. And hi, Andrew. Welcome. Hey, what's up? How are you guys? Good. I just want to say, you guys both have like great voices for podcasts. <laughs> I've never, I'll be honest, I've never listened to this one before. So that's okay. I, I just, haven't listened in, to it either. That <laughs> intro is just, you sound like Michael Barbaro from the New York Times. <laughs> oh, so. well, thank you. I, I have 11 years of radio experience and a degree in broadcasting from Northwest. Well, there so. you go. It's the only way I use it in my current job. So thank you. <laughs> so, Andrew, you are a student here at Northwest. So, what year are you and what major are you? I'm a junior, and I think my major is called Mass Communications Emphasis Sports Media, or like colon Sports Media, but I usually just say. Uh, you'll just you'll just figure it out when you get that media. diploma. Yeah, when, whenever they hand it to me, I guess I'll figure out what it says right. and then update my resume accordingly. But um, yeah, just sports media in general, mostly just refer to it as journalism when people ask me uh, outside of the realm of the university, because I don't know if other people really know. So I just say journalism. And how long have you been writing for the Missourian? Uh, since my the first semester of my freshman year is when I started, so the fall of 2017 when I got on campus, I um, went to like those faculty meetings that they do where you meet everybody that is in kind of your major, and they said if you want to work for the Missourian, you should talk to Stephen Chapel, and so I tracked him down at their meeting and enrolled in practicum, and have been writing there regularly since. So, well, let's back it up. What was your first job, Andrew? First job. First at, paid job. At, at the paper or just no, in general? like oh, ever uh, in your whole life. Hy-Vee, actually. All the right. Hy-Vee in Raytown, Missouri. It's a suburb of Kansas City. I'm from the Kansas City area, so. What'd you do at Hy-Vee? I started as a, as a checker, and then I worked my way up to customer service clerk. Um, wow. So, yeah. Ambitious. The big time, for <laughs> sure. Was I always said I was on the road to the white shirt because our managers all wore white shirts, but then they changed that rule. So <laughs> then we said we were on the road to the black tag because they had black name tags. There but, for a while they had blue, they had like blue shirts. Mm-hmm, that's and, when I started. Yeah, I got you. I have a, a blue shirt in my closet that I sometimes wear here. And for the longest time, I was kind of paranoid to wear it because they would make fun of me like I was a high V <laughs> manager or something. Yeah. Yeah, they had like the real nice blue ones and they changed them to like these shirts that felt like sandpaper and they had those until I left. And then after I left, they got like these really nice like golf polos. So, you know, yeah, I kind of missed out. (laughs) Oh, well. What kind of skills did you gain as a checker? Talk to me about like checking. I guess at first it's not that I didn't like talking to strangers, but it was just like having to force a conversation with every single person that comes to your line and, and just talking to people and jumping I mean, people in high school. I'm a 16 years old and I got hired there. So no 16 year old, I think is great at talking to adults at any just level of regularity. So that was part of it was just, Hey, how are you? You know, getting used to that. And then I think, you know, once you do it for a month, you kind of fall into that, um, into that pattern. But then sometimes people throw you off when they actually tell you how they're doing and not just, Oh, pretty good. Here's my fuel saver, this and that. Um, so I think just a, a lot of what I learned on that was just, just talking to people. And then another part is just like, you kind of have to expect to work the whole time. Cause I felt like right when I started that 
we were never busy that often. Like, I don't know why I was just like, Oh, I'm never really working that hard. And then like, as I got going, like, I don't know, like a couple months later, it was like Christmas season. It was just like, man, I got to line my whole shift. Like this is a crock. Like I'm sick of it. But, uh, so I guess part of that was just kind of work ethic thing. Like, yeah, you have to expect to work when you're at a to job. To show so. up and do something mm-hmm. the whole time you're there. And then be annoyed. Like when somebody else is like, you'd get in like, Oh yeah, we had three Collins tonight. And it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess if you expect too much out of other people, I think is is when you when you get burned. So I guess I learned that as a checker. Um, great time. How to look people in the eye and then touch all their groceries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I touch all their think groceries that's kind of funny. and ask for their phone number at the end for their fuel <laughs> saver. And that sounds like you know talking to people. That sounds like really good preparation to be a journalist because that's nine tenths of the job right is interviewing people and having those conversations that are sometimes awkward yeah and then customer service even helped me more with that i guess i don't know if i've ever really even considered it until until right now but when you go to customer service it's not just you know with checking they're all there to check out like they come up to you they know what unless they're gonna like hey can you help me find something like more often than not they are there because they would like to pay for the the goods that they're about to buy. Uh, but a customer service is always different. It was like, you know, are you going to buy a lottery ticket? Or are you going to do a Western Union transaction? So it's how can I help you instead of how are you doing? So just, you know, and sometimes you get yelled at, you just learn how to deal with stuff. And it's, it, uh, there are a lot of parallels there with journalism that I don't think I'd ever considered until I came here on this podcast today. So uh, behind the bear cat, yeah, making the connections. <laughs> Turns out maybe Hive did a lot more for me than I, than I ever anticipated for my journalism career. So so did you work there all through high school? Yeah, I worked there all through high school, uh, then got to college and thought, I don't need a job. And then I'm like, you know, a semester later, I was like, I'm out of money. So, <laughs> and so I got, uh, so I actually went to the Maryville Hy-Vee shooting a commercial for FIMP upstairs, the fundamentals of electronic media production. We were making fake commercials and I had my Hy-Vee jacket on and I had a white shirt and like a red tie. I looked like a manager, but we were just shooting a commercial, which I, we didn't even have permission to do. But, uh, <laughs> But the hiring manager saw me and she's like, hey, if you want a job, um, let me know. And that was in like the fall. And then in January, I like called her and I was like, hey. Um, I'm ready for my yeah, job I was now. Like, I'm ready for my job. <laughs> and she was like very skeptical. She was like, uh, okay, like call me back on Monday. But she asked me what my store number was in Raytown. And then she called me back 10 minutes later. She said, hey, I just called Raytown. I'd like to interview you right now. So I guess Raytown had good things to say about me. So I got hired here. I uh, worked there for about two months and then was fired, actually. So um, they, I allegedly stole $2, which there's a whole uh, the whole story behind that, that if you have the time, I, I can tell it. But I feel like I've told it so many times but essentially they said i stole two dollars and i did accidentally walk out of the store two dollars but they didn't believe my story and they fired me so and i was kind of like annoyed and also like because it was like i'd worked there for two years and seven months and i was like if this would have happened to raytown like they would have understood but i'm new up here and, and, and so you and had that. no cred you got yeah, no, no, no credibility up. i know that like the store when i was working there they said like they were losing like hemorrhaging money because their cash accountability was like just a an oxymoron so i think it was just a, a product of bad circumstance but i think up. that's a good i think this is a good i don't think we've had anyone ever talk about being fired on the show but i think that's a good point like that happens to people all the time sometimes i have to deal with students who've been let go from a job either off campus or on campus any words of wisdom for someone who's been fired how to deal with that? Like um, how to get how to get back up after you got let go? Yeah, I was. Uh, I don't know if I could say this, but I was really pissed off. Like the day I got <laughs> fired, I actually and maybe like part of it was that I didn't know I was signing my termination slip 
uh, I because she framed it like it was the hiring manager framed it like it was almost like a like an incident report and they're going to look into it and uh, decide how to advance and I was like okay whatever I'm essentially signing this write up and then after I signed it which you should read everything you sign that's one point uh, that you should, you should jo- read everything that that's read. A, that's a key you should read everything <laughs> read everything before you sign it for sure and then she's like all right well you know so this won't affect your ability to get a job anywhere else she's like but I guess you're you're done here and also at the other store. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like that was my exact word. I said, oh, okay, cool. And I was like, well, not cool, but okay. And then I was like going to leave. And then she said, make sure you shut the door. Or no, she said, make sure you clock out on your way out. Cause you have to clock in for them to fire. You didn't know that until I uh, had to clock in to get fired. So, and I slammed the door, which maybe wasn't like my most professional look, but I think given the circumstances, I'll give myself a pass on that. And then immediately called like the Raytown store. And I was like talking to my managers there that knew me for two years, two and a half years. And I was like, you know, this is a situation. I feel like I'm getting kind of screwed over and was trying to see if I could get my job back there. And ultimately that didn't work out either. I don't know if I, where I was going with that, if I had a good point to make, but I, I did write, I gave the money back after I got fired. I, Cause I still had the $2 in my wallet. Cause I, every time I'd opened it, like, Oh, this is high V's like, this is not mine or this is that customers. But I gave it back, but I wrote a very sarcastic note it said two and it had the hiring manager's name and it was like from uh the bakery because the whole situation involved the bakery and i wrote the date <laughs> from which because the instance so they questioned me about it on march 3rd and the instance had happened february 10th so i still had the money uh, almost a month later and i wrote like february 10th and i said can you guys make sure that the hiring manager gets this and then uh and then just left and i was like i'm never gonna shop there again but hy is good place to shop so i still do <laughs> Well, you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. So that was yeah. a learning opportunity for you and yeah, through some professional skills. So Also to be gracious. Be gracious. Be gracious. Be gracious, loser. Be gracious when they fire you because you just never know. Maybe someday you'll own Hy-Vee and you'll be like, yeah. It's employee-owned, so <laughs> I guess I'm out on that so you <laughs> <laughs> So how did you come to Northwest? Uh, what made you come to Northwest? You're You're from Kansas City area. Right, yeah. Golly. Okay. So I think, I think everybody's dream is to go, maybe not to North, not everybody's dream, but like, especially in the Kansas City area, it's like, oh, you know, KU, Mizzou, uh, you know, K-State's right there. UMKC's right there. Arkansas's not too far away. All those huge schools. And you're kind of in the crossroads of all of it. And Northwest, I think was an afterthought. And for me, like the dream school was Syracuse because I want to be a journalist. Like Nick Wright went to Syracuse. Uh, Andy McCullough went to Syracuse, like a, a ton of professional journalists went there, but Syracuse is like $40,000 a year. So I was like, okay, I'll weigh my options. And I applied to a lot of schools, um, mostly because in high school, they gave us a full size candy bar every time we got an acceptance letter. And they would like, <laughs> they had all of our pictures on this bulletin board and they would staple up like the logos of the schools you got accepted to. And I was just like, okay, I'm trying to bank as many candy bars as I can before I get out of here. So I was applying to a lot and I had an offer offer from Simpson College, which is like a tiny college up in Iowa. And they had a really nice scholarship offer. It would have it would have been about the same cost to go there, but given that their tuition is twice as much as it is here, uh, and it would have been out of state in Iowa. But I ultimately decided on Northwest mostly for the familiarity. And then I just liked the, I, I came here on one visit. It was like a school visit. It wasn't even a personal one. I liked the campus. I just liked the feeling of it. And I, I ultimately just felt like I'd be more comfortable here. I actually, ironically, didn't know anything about the journalism pro- uh, like department. I never met Stephen Chapel. I never took any tour of this newsroom that we're shooting the podcast next to. I never did any of that. 
Would that yeah. have influenced your decision as Wait, a high school I think, student? I think I would have definitely came. I mean, I, I was committed to coming here regardless, but I mean, I didn't look into anything, which was in hindsight was terrible choice. Like I could, like if I'd ended up at Missouri Western with the Griffin news down there, I don't know what I'd be doing right now, <laughs> but thank God, thank God I came here and yeah, it's just worked out for me. And, and partly, I guess if I'm being fully honest, there was a girl in my high school that was going here <laughs> that I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to full, gonna, full yeah. disclosure. Yeah. I was like, okay, we're going to go to school together and get married but then you got here in a week later you break up so it's like oh okay so you gotta <laughs> but they have a good journalism department. right but you got you got to chart your own path you got to start working at the Missourian and and everything really worked out so far you know knock on wood but I'm always interested in young people that choose journalism because that seems like you know newspapers are not what they used to be yeah can be you know kindly speaking so, right no i've heard it all yeah and it just it's always interesting to me that uh, that students are still drawn to that that field so what was it uh, did you do journalism in high school like did you have a high school paper that you worked on or a yearbook or what what drew you to journalism because right. that seems like a, a hard skill for students that don't like to read and don't enjoy writing yeah i i was always good at writing like english papers for my composition class I actually had the same teacher for english last three years of my high school just like she kept moving up as we moved up so we got lucky and she said once at the end of my one of my papers, like, if you ever consider a career in sports journalism, uh, it's not necessarily glamorous or high paying, but I think you'd be good at it. And I'd never, I'd, I'd always read, and a big part of it was that when the Royals were really good in 2014, 2015, I was like constantly following them and still did in 2013 and 2016 when they were not as good, but uh, <laughs> just on the record that I, I'm not. Not a fair not weather fair fan. weather though I didn't watch it much last year. It's tough <laughs> when they lose 105 or whatever it was. But so I was always following along the Kansas City Star. Andy McCullough, the guy I mentioned earlier, was writing there at the time, and so I was reading every single day. And I guess it never. It took. I don't know why it took for that comment to make me realize, like, oh, this is exactly what I like. I want to do. I want to watch sports and get paid to write about it, um, which is a grossly simplification of what sports journalism is, but. If you think about it, though, like that's a no brainer. Yeah, I was like 17 years old. I was like, all these people really have to do is watch the game and then write about it. They don't have to do anything else, which definitely didn't know all that went into it back then. But that was a big part of it. I did yearbook my senior year um, and just kind of realized that I had a better grasp of how to write than or just how to tell a story than most people there. And I got here and assumed that that would not be the case. And it definitely wasn't at first. Like, I mean, you just you just you're a freshman in a newsroom full of people that have been doing it. And so uh, I guess what drew it to me was the idea of people are always going to like sports. People are always going to want to consume sports media in some way. And like a good story, if I say the word good story, you could probably think of a newspaper article you read two years ago that you're like, oh, yeah, that was a good story that I read. So just to have that kind of effect on people and be able to put into words something that makes you makes you feel something, that was always... I don't know. I just always want to tell a good story. So whether it's verbally or, and then to do it through writing. So that was a very long meandering roundabout answer. You say good story. And the story I think of is the one that you just had in the Missourian where you featured Matt Tritton, who is on the Bearcat Radio Network. You followed him to work. And oh kind of yeah. Told the day in the life story. I really appreciate that. That's, that was one of the best stories I've ever written on something that's not something that everyone would say is newsworthy. So mm -hmm. I think being able to tell a story, even the small stories is such a strong skill and have it i so. really i really appreciate it <laughs> I, I definitely try and work on it as often as i can so so tell us what goes on beyond it behind it so if that if that's a simplified version talk talk to us about what it actually takes to tell a story about the sports event that you just watched 
Right. So I, I guess the the example in my head, because I covered the Northwest men's basketball team, is just a basketball game. And I guess as a 17-year-old, I thought you would just go and you would write. And I don't even know if I even considered them that you'd have to talk to people afterwards. Uh, but <laughs> but I mean, uh, basketball, it's partly I didn't even consider like, oh, I'm going to have to take my own photos. I'm going to have to live tweet games. I'm going to have to do all that. So that's all part of it. I mean, it's like sitting on the on the baseline. You're taking photos for most of the game, trying to edit as you go. Obviously, watching the game, taking it in, getting a sense of the crowd, getting a sense of you know, watching the score, all that. You know, who's got, who's hot, who isn't, who's missed a lot of shots, who's made a lot of shots, who is, uh, you know, who's hurt, who's not playing, why aren't they playing? Do we know about this? Um, and it's just compiling. Okay, so I have to ask about all this after the game. And then to me, um, the biggest part of storytelling is finding the moment in the game that changed the game, that defined the game, that uh, maybe embodied the game. And, and that's, that's a lot of times what I do if, if you read any of my sports recap stories because it's like nobody cares, or maybe they do, but not as many people are going to care about a basketball game if the first thing you write is, you know, Northwest played a basketball game today and they won <laughs> – you know, 30 to, to 12 or something like that, which would never be a basketball score, but, uh, <laughs> it could be, but if, but <laughs> if you, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but if you, if you tell the story of a, of a play that changed the game or of a player that changed the game and Trevor Hodgins is a good example, cause he's been doing that a lot lately and he's been my lead a lot lately. It's just finding that moment. Cause I think when you're reading it, when you're 18 years old, you don't realize, uh, how much thought goes into that lead and, and you have to watch I mean you have to take seconds of action that you watched once and then maybe took notes about and you've got statistics to help you and they have shot charts you can go back and see exactly what happened when which is very convenient because when you're covering high school sports in a lot of ways that's harder uh, but but yeah you just have to like try and remember everything you can take notes write about it ask for reactions of it put it into writing in a way that you're going to make the reader feel something close to what you felt when you saw it and and that's the most important part of storytelling and then keeping that consistent element throughout because if you have a good lead in the story that that'll help a lot but how's your how's the middle part and that's one thing i really try to do and I, I i think that if if you ask me what the most important part of storytelling is it is that every single word you write in a really good story should be intentional and i don't think a lot of people do that very often and that's what i try to do you mentioned Twitter as well, and you, you are a fantastic Twitter follow. I appreciate that. Someone who, <laughs> I, I am not a sports fan, but I, I purposefully follow Andrew on Bearcat Game Day because you make the sports more interesting than they are just on their own. Like, your Twitter feed is amazing to me. Like, you like I could watch a game and not get as much out of it as I get out of two or three tweets that you have about a game. So, That's how do you do that? Yeah, right that, is, there. Uh, that is maybe the highest compliment Shout I've Shout out received, right there. So, yeah. I really appreciate it. How, how do you do that, though? How do you, I mean, because it's it's so hard to be narrative in 140 characters. Right. Is that natural? Right. Did you, did um, you just kind of like just go about it? Just that's your tweeting style? So I think part of it is that I, I followed beat reporters that covered the Royals and they were always like a little snarky, especially when the fans <laughs> are overreacting. And I, I actually like enjoy it sometimes when fans like reply to me and they're like, you know, like, oh, no, this and that. And, you know, then you just quote tweet them and say, like, oh, cancel Christmas. Like, it's <laughs> because you know, uh, we could talk about that, too, is that, is that Twitter sports, strategy. <laughs> sports really don't matter. And uh, sometimes people in your DMs and your in your notifications want want you to think that it matters. But I think and maybe that's a bad take from somebody trying to make their career in sports. But still, in the larger scheme, they don't matter. But in, on Twitter, it's just 
you have to give people a reason to follow you and the reason to consume your updates over the competition. Because if you're just tweeting, you know, Ryan Hawkins hit a three, it's, you know, 47 to 43 here at Bearcat Arena. Like, you can okay. get that from the yeah. box score. You can get that from anything. But if you if you make a joke, if you point out something that you aren't going to know from home, and that's mostly what I try to do is just insert my personality into the tweets uh, and just trying to be as funny as I can, as often as I can, or or maybe being critical in a way that might be humorous or just pointing out things that are happening that um, that I think are just interesting and are going to provide some more context to what's going on. And uh, one thing I've done a lot lately is attaching myself to Luke Waters, who at the beginning of the season was like this guy that played three minutes a game. And I like I think I said earlier, I was like, you know, I'm the president of the Luke Waters fan club. Like I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to champion him. And now he's playing like 37 minutes a game. And it looks like I was really smart by uh, targeting Luke Waters early on. But in reality, I just thought it's funny. His name is Luke Waters, so there's so much you can do with that. He's like this six seven guy that is kind of like he's like large in size, but he's kind of like his just the way he, t- he talks and his nature is kind of uh, introverted. And he's just like almost like an anti-hero on that team when you have the personalities like Ryan Hawkins and Diego Bernard and Trevor Hudgens and all your non-sports fans listeners don't know what I'm talking about. But it's, <laughs> it's just it's interesting, and I think just I don't know people like it. That's on a key though, though. You already are looking like you're viewing a sports team with a story in mind, right? I see five people out there at the court, but you're seeing the story that's happening on the court with the five people, right? Like yeah. you're seeing that. Like I it guess, just comes yeah. to you. I, I just, I just thought it'd be, I don't know. I had a class with Luke Waters, and I was like, this guy <laughs> is gonna be, because they're all like every player in that program is good. So I was figuring, you know, if you if you just call him early before everybody else knows about it. It'll make you look smart. And it's just funny. I just, he's like a cult hero to me. <laughs> and I don't know why. And the fans seem to be really into it. And yeah, I just try to be funny on Twitter. So they need to mail their fanship membership money. <laughs> right. Yeah. The yeah. We will, I, can, I can drop my Venmo. <laughs> Perfect. So what do you do as the managing editor? Uh, right now, a lot more than I was doing last semester. Managing editor generally is kind of, I always say, Mostly does nothing because really it's just kind of assisting the editor-in-chief, Rachel Adamson, with what she needs done. A lot of it's managing staff conflict, which we just try to avoid anyway. Um, but also, like most managed editors are not also sports reporters. And then at the start of this semester, I wrote that Matt Tritton feature because I've been serving as the A&E editor too and then the uh, opinion editor as well. So there's been a lot. But I guess mostly what I do is just we have to look at every story before they go to print. So you go through and edit those for content, grammar, AP style, stuff like that. And then making sure pages are designed, making sure photos are taken. Um, so I guess in an ideal world, the manager editor would just kind of be the filler. Making uh, sure of, everything got done. Right. Yeah. The sand to fill in a cup full of golf balls at, at times, just whatever needs to be filled in, whatever needs to happen. I think ideally that would be me. Uh, but then with, you know, I'm, a beat reporter as well for sports and then and do the other stuff so at times it can be a lot and at times it can feel like too much but i didn't i didn't come here to play school uh, as i always say I, I came here to play newspaper so uh that so is what, what are your plans when you graduate what do you want to do i really just want to write get paid to write <laughs> and i say that a lot um yeah getting paid dollars to write words is really what i'm trying to do in an ideal world the kansas city star would be awesome uh, the athletic, which is like an up and coming. Um, We're trying to get the early story on you so that like yeah. they can be like, yeah, we hired yeah, Andrew you, Wegley. Yeah, you guys were the, uh, <laughs> you guys, I'm your Luke Waters, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Wouldn't that be something? But yeah, I mean, any, I mean, it's 
to work at somewhere like the New York Times, Washington Post. Um, I know that print media, as as a lot of people like to point out to print media students, is that is not going the way it needs to be. Subs- subscriptions are dropping, newspapers are closing. The company that owns the Kansas City Star is in debt and on the verge of bankruptcy, and it's all it's all disheartening. It's all gloom and doom, but. I just think people will always, there will always be at least some market for good storytelling and particularly in-depth storytelling. And those are two things that I really- and sports aren't going to go away. Yeah. So there will always be a market for some kind of sports media and some kind of good storytelling. And I'm just trying to find out where, where there will be a place in that market for me once I'm done here. Do you have any tips or tricks? For students on how to get a job on campus, how to get plugged in, how to any tips or tricks or advice. Um, well, get, to get on campus, you should want to work for the Missourian and apply right <laughs> now because we do have some openings uh, at A and E reporter, opinion columnist, stuff like that. Um, but I guess in general, I think like the most key thing you can do to get a job on campus is like to talk to people because I think people when they want jobs sometimes they're like, okay, I'm just going to send all these applications online, but that just won't work as well for you if you, I mean, even at the, like we don't even have our applications online for the Missouri, like you have to come in and, and grab an application because we can't keep them up all the time because we have to close the positions and, and on all that. So yeah, just going, like if you won't know where you wanna work somewhere, go talk to somebody there. Worst case scenario, they can they hire say you. no. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a really cool off-campus job too. And I wanted to talk about that. Your oh, substitute teaching. Yes, that's yeah. a really cool. It's a blast sometimes. So yeah, I'm a substitute teacher, which in hindsight should have been a substitute teacher in the Maryville School District, but I like, I was like, I'll do it in Raytown, partly because my mom works as a substitute teacher in the district still, and partly because I graduated there, but it was definitely a hassle because I, I didn't have classes on Fridays last semester, so I would drive down at like, in my head I was like, okay, I'll go down Thursday night, but then I was like, you know, I'm packing a bag just to stay one night, just to go sub and then come right back. So I was like, okay, I'll just start getting up at 4 a.m. <laughs> um, and going there, but it, it, and in some ways the easiest job I've ever had and some days it definitely was especially like high school like you can just tell those kids like all right do your worksheet don't bother me um I did elementary school once a couple times actually and that was I mean it's a whole different ball game <laughs> middle school hit and miss really it, it really is like middle school some days you're like I could like you know these kids are cool and then some days you're like I am starting to understand why like why teachers call in like I'm, I'm, I'm starting to understand why nobody likes middle schoolers so um like you don't you don't go over to horace Manor or whatever and ask those kids what they're going to major in they don't say middle school education they're all <laughs> early or late nobody wants to be i don't know how you end up as middle school teacher but oh, god how'd bless you, how'd you decide to be a sub what what like you know how much they pay you to be a sub <laughs> that is how i decided to be a sub it was actually it was a hundred dollars a day when i started and, and they just upped their rate in Raytown to 130 because nobody wants to do it. And also because my mom, she was like, oh, you should sub. And I was like, mm. and all you have to do is hit the 60 credit hours. And I was like, you know, I can't find another job that's only going to let me work on Fridays, is going to pay me $13 an hour essentially, and is going to work around, because even if I don't want to work on a Friday, I could just not schedule a job. So I guess it was just the convenience factor. I was like, this will be perfect. I don't have classes on Fridays. I'll go back. I'll make easy money. It's like $400 a month if you work every Friday. And then even on holidays for us that aren't holidays for them, I could go work. And it was just like, it's worth the money, I think, especially now $130 a day. Um, Cause I don't know what that comes out to, but it's, 
more an hour than I'd ever made at any other job, ever made at high V or make it the, at the Missouri. And so, uh, so yeah, I guess it was just the, the financial factor. And then also that I always thought it'd be really cool to be a substitute teacher, but I wanted to do it when I was young enough to enjoy it. Cause I saw like the key and peel sketch where they like mispronounced <laughs> the names. And I was like, Oh, that would be so fun if you just went in and started messing with kids. But I, it turns out they don't like that. So, uh, <laughs> so I never really did that. Lessons, but, key lessons learned. Yeah. So, yeah. I just, I remember seeing on, on your social media actually that you were doing that. And it's like, that's such a smart part-time college job because no nights, no weekends, you yeah. set your schedule. You Super only flexible. work when you want to work. Yeah. Like I just, I, I just, I wish I would have thought of that as a college student. Cause yeah, 60 yeah. hours. That's most kids have that by sophomore year with dual credit. Shout out my mom, Kim. She's <laughs> awesome. She's a genius. She, she put yeah. me on. Way to go, Kim. All right. Well, anything else that you want to share? This has been great. I got one last question for you. Okay, here we go. Travis, let me have my question. I'm so excited. (laughs) What does it mean to you to be a Bearcat? Oh, that's a a loaded... There's a lot there. Sheesh. To be a Bearcat, to me, I guess, I'd say it's just has a lot to do with involvement. And I think... As that was a cliche answer. Here's my real answer is that when I got to Northwest, I did not like it at all. My first semester hated it, spent most of my time in my dorm. Second semester was a little better, probably wanted to transfer, definitely considered it. I think a lot of people do. And I just didn't, I didn't like Maryville because it was cold and it, the sun shines for four months a year. And the wind. And the is wind. So and they terrible. don't tell you about the wind on the brochure. And maybe <laughs> you guys can do something about that because I had my visit in August and I said, oh, this would be great. And I got here in August. And then two months later, I was like, oh, this is the worst. But um, but I don't know, just something about Northwest, and this probably doesn't even answer your question, but it grows on literally everybody that sticks around here long enough. And I was talking to Matt Tritton about it. I was talk- I talk about this to a lot of people. And I don't know what it is, because if you'd asked me my freshman year what I'd think about it my junior year, I'd be like, oh, I hate Maryville and don't want to be here. But I don't go home that often now. I mean, it's just something about Maryville, something about the community, something about the campus that – it just grows on you over the time. So I, I guess to be to what it means to be a Bearcat is to be a part of that community that just has a different effect on you once you've been here. And I don't think could be fully understood by someone who hasn't been here. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. And be sure to check out the Northwest Missourian website and Andrew on social media. Both. Both are definitely well worth your time. For yeah. Sure. Thank you. All right. Well, that will do it for another edition of Behind the Bearcat. And we'll talk to you next time.